This is a LifeGate Church podcast. Tune in to hear from our team as we encourage you to discover the freedom and purpose that Jesus offers. If you want to find out more about who we are, visit lifegate.org.au. G'day, my name's Nathan. I'm the lead pastor of LifeGate Church and I've got the privilege of bringing the word for you today. I want to start with a question. Here it is here. Are you a dog person or a cat person? Now, if you're watching this and you're sitting with a group of people, turn to the person next to you and tell them, are you a dog person or a cat person? If you're watching this online, put it in the chat box if you're a dog person or if you're a cat person. Now, I want to introduce you to something new today, something that you may have never encountered before, and it's this, dog and cat theology. That's right, dog and cat theology. A cat says, a cat says, you feed me, you pat me, you care for me, you give me shelter, therefore I must be God. (laughs) And they strut around living like they own the place and it's like life is all about them. Where dogs, on the other hand, say, you feed me, you pat me, you give me shelter, therefore you must be God. And as a result, they're loyal to their master and their life, the dog's life, is all about how they can love and honour and serve their master. Now, that's a bit of fun, obviously, but it actually points to two different types of people and their response to God. The uh, first type of people, as represented by the cats, are those who think life is all about them. They look at their life and all that's been given to them and everything that they've achieved, and instead of recognising God as the source of all those things, They look at their own successes. They look at their own accomplishments and they celebrate themselves and and they become like little gods over their own lives where they get to choose whatever they do, whatever they want to do, and they live their life for them. The people, people represented by the cats are people that say, life is all about me. The second group of people are those represented by the dogs. And these people say, life is all about God. They see what God has done through creation. They see what God has given them, all their provision and supply. They see what God has done through Jesus, that Jesus has made a way for our sin to be forgiven. When he rose from the dead, he made a way for us to have new life, and that's eternal life with God forever. They recognize all that and say, wow, God, you're incredible, and I want to live a life that honors you. The people represented by the dogs are those who say life is all about God. As you're sitting and listening to this message, I wonder which animal you can relate to more, the cat that says life is all about me or the dog who says life is all about God. I wonder which one you can relate to the most. We're going to pray and then we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. Please pray with me. Father, we want to thank you for the opportunity again to sit under your word, to open your Bible, which are your words to us. Father, give us ears to hear what you're saying to us, heart that's open to receive from you. And Father, anoint me with this task of preaching your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, over the last few weeks, we've been looking at Ephesians chapter 4. And Ephesians chapter 4 begins in verse 1 with this pivotal verse. It says, Paul writes, As a prisoner for the Lord then, writing from a prison, I urge you, I beg you, I encourage you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And that calling is set out for us in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, the first three chapters. 
where God says that through Jesus Christ, people can have relationship with God. It doesn't matter your background. If you're a Jew or a Gentile, it doesn't matter your color, your race, your language, that every person has the opportunity to be in relationship with God by putting their trust in Jesus. And when we do that, God says he forgives us. He gives us a new identity, a new calling, that we are now holy and blameless in his sight, that he has adopted us, that he has paid the price for our wrongdoing, we are redeemed. And he now calls us in Ephesians 2.10, his masterpiece in Christ Jesus. Friends, that is who we are. And that's what Paul talks about in the first three chapters. And then he missed four, chapter 4, verse 1. It is the pivot verse that says all this stuff, that God has done for you. This is your calling. Now live in a way worthy of that calling. And the next three chapters in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, 5, and 6, he talks about how to live out this calling out of a response to what God has done for you. Paul writes, use your, your, your new identity, what, what God has done to you, God has done for you as a springboard to live in a way that honours God, where life is all about God. And then as we look at the first part of Ephesians chapter 4, he talks about unity. The second part is he tells us that every person has a part to play. And then the text for today from verse 17 onwards says that we are no longer called to live like the rest of the world where it's all about me, but we're called to live for God where we live a life that honours him. Let's have a look at um, this text today from Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17. This is what Paul writes. I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you learned about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which has been corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That's our text today. Let's now go back to verse 17 and pull this text apart. Paul starts by saying this, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. Remember, he said in verse 1, use your new identity as a springboard to live in this way. The church is called to be unified. Every person has its part. And then in verse 17, he says, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. That you, must not, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Now, he's not talking about all the Gentiles because some of the Gentiles in Ephesus, and remember he's writing to the church in Ephesus, some of the Gentiles in Ephesus are now Christians and have committed their life to Jesus and are living in a different way. But what he's talking about is do not live like the rest of the Gentiles in the city, people who don't know God, who don't follow God. In other words, don't follow the ways of the world. The ways of the world are the ways that the world lives, the ways that they believe are normal. We have social norms. We have socially acceptable behaviour. And he says, don't live like that. Live like God wants you to live. 
Because if you live like this, that is futile. It is, it is useless in, if you live that way. He then goes on in verse 18 and he describes that, that, that way of living, the way the Gentiles are living. He says they are darkened in their understanding. They have no light. They, they do not know God's way. It is, it, it, they are living in darkness. He's, they are separated from the life of God because of their sin. Because of our sin, we are separated from God. He says because of their ignorance, they simply don't know God's best. That is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. They are darkened in their understanding. They are separated from God. They are ignorant. Why? Because of the hardening of hearts. Now, the New Testament talks a fair bit about hardening of hearts. If we go to this passage in Romans chapter 1, Paul writes in Romans chapter 1 verse 18, he says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth, who squash the truth, the truth of who that our God is creator, that our God is there, they, they suppress it because of their wickedness. And then he says in verse 21 this, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Their thinking became useless and their foolish hearts were darkened. Paul's point, Paul wrote Romans and he also wrote Ephesians. His point is this, that as we sin and as we continue to sin, our heart becomes darker and darker so that we are so caught up in our sin that we can no longer see who God is and what he's done. And we get stuck in a calloused, dark heart with no hope. We've no way out unless God, unless God does something in our life. It says, when our hearts are dark, back to Ephesians chapter 4 now, he says in verse 19, when the, once their hearts are dark due to their um, hearts are dark, their ignorance of God, they're separated from God, they can no longer see God, they've lost all sensitivity to God. They've given themselves over to sensuality. In other words, they are following their senses. Whatever feels good, do it. Whatever makes me happy, do it. It's like living like the cat where life is all about me, where I'll do whatever I want to do to make me happy. They're following the senses so that to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. He says that is how the Gentiles are living in the city of Ephesus. Don't live like them. And the reality is that's how many people are living today who are ignorant of God, who have got hard hearts because of their wrongdoing, and they're following whatever their senses say pleases them. And Paul writes, don't live that way. He then goes on in verse 20. He says, that, however, is not the way, the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. He says, when you committed your life to Christ, when you learn about Jesus, you learn not to live that way. You're not called to follow your senses and follow the way of the world. No, you have a, a new way of living. And that way is to follow God, is to follow Jesus, to follow his teachings and live a life that honours him. Verse 22, he says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which has been corrupted by its deceitful desires. Now, friends, this idea that this, this, this concept of old, this old self 
And putting off the old self is another theme that we see throughout the New Testament, particularly in Paul's writings. See, when you come to Christ, God gives you a new identity. It says in 2 Corinthians 5 that the old is gone, the new has come because you are new in Christ. God forgives you and he puts you in in a right standing with God. Like it says down in verse 24, you are holy and righteous in God's sight as, as, as God sees you. And then we're called to live that way. We're called to live righteously. We're called to live in a way that's different from the world. And that happens as we start to get transformed. The Holy Spirit does transformation in our, in our lives where we start to act like more like God as we start to think more like God. But here we also have a responsibility and our, and our responsibility is to put off our old self. When it says old self, it's talking about our flesh nature, the part of our soul that says, I want to please me. It is self-centered. It is Nathan-centric, where it's all about making me happy, fulfilling my pleasures and desires. And it's in contrast to what God wants for us. And Paul says here that we are to put off that old life, put off those desires. And he's about to say to choose God's desires. And notice what he writes about this old self. They are Our old self is corrupted by deceitful desires. They're deceitful. They're not even good for us. They lead us astray. And we're to put those things off. Then he says in verse 23, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You know, part of our transformation is we deliberately to put it off, put off the old life, but we're also called to have our minds renewed, as it says in verse 23 to be made new in the attitude of your minds. Another theme throughout the New, the, throughout the New Testament is the renewing of the minds. We read, we, we read this in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Paul writes, same writer, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Same idea of what Paul writes here in Ephesus, in Ephesians, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You are going to have different desires. You're going to live for God as your mind is renewed. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, is good, pleasing and perfect will. As we start to put in God's truth, as we're in his word, as we sit under, sit under Bible teaching like you're doing today, as we listen to worship music and get God's truth into our lives, as the Holy Spirit does a work on us and transforms our mind, we start to think more and more like God thinks. And as we start to think more and more like God thinks, we then know what his good, pleasing, his perfect will is because we're starting to think like him. It's a beautiful picture. Going back to this verse now in Ephesians 4.23, have a renewed mind. And then in verse 24, he says, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. He says in, the, in verse 22 to put off. And now he says in verse 24 to put on. And that's a decision that we can make. And to put on the new self simply means to live in a way that honours God. When we have choices in life, we can choose to dishonour God or choose to honour God. And in every situation, God's will, God's desire for us is that we choose to live in a way that, that, that pleases Him. So this text this morning, Ephesians 4, 7 through 24, Paul's saying to us, don't live like the world. Don't live with in a way where your senses are pleased 
where it's all about you, like the cat, where life's about me. No, live like the dog, where, where you're living in a life that, where you're living a life that honors God, where it's no longer about pleasing your senses, but rather pleases him. And as you please him, you will absolutely be pleased. That's what we see in this text. Now, as Paul writes this letter to the Ephesians, he's writing to the church in Ephesus. And at the church in Ephesus, they are living in a city that is a generally, the vast majority of people are Gentiles, part of the Roman Empire. And there was a few behaviours in that city that were normal, that were opposed to what God has for his people. The first one was around idol worship. In the city of Ephesus, they worshipped this goddess Artemis, who was the goddess um, of, of hunting, but also represented birth and futility. And everybody in this city worshipped this goddess. And this goddess was the centrepiece of their spiritual and religious lives. They even built a temple to her. Here's a picture of it. And it was so remarkable that at one stage it was, it was recognised as one of the seven wonders of the world. Such was the grandeur of this temple. If you go back to Acts chapter 19, that's where Paul went to Ephesus and he preached the message of Jesus. He stayed there two years and, and a church was set up and he got in trouble later in Acts chapter 19 because people that made these figurines and, and had them in people's houses and made a living out of them, less and less people were buying because people were committing their life to Jesus and they were throwing away their, these, these, these idols and other gods and they were, they were deliberately pursuing the true God, Jesus Christ, the God of the Bible. So that was one of the things in the city. They had idol worship and it was normal for them. The other thing that we see in Ephesus is, is sexual immorality. And, and, and let, let me just say, parents, that this is uh, M-rated. From, from now on, um, this uh, message is M-rated. So if you have a kid who's sitting with you and watching this, um, and they're less than 15 years of age. Maybe it's now is a good time to ask them to go and read a book somewhere else. And you can watch it. And if you think this is appropriate for someone under the age of 15, this is online, you can ask them to come back and watch it. Um, I just wanted to put that in there because it's important. The other thing they had in the city was around sexual immorality where people would have sex outside of marriage, particularly if you were wealthy, you would pay for sex. There was a brothel in the city. There was also Roman baths where people would, would regularly have sex. And let me say that that, that behaviour at the time was normal. Sex outside of marriage was normal in Ephesus at that time. And so when Paul writes to the, to, to the Christians in Ephesus and says, don't live like the Gentiles live, he's writing specifically about those two things, no doubt a whole, a whole bunch of other issues as well. But there were two significant issues for the city at that time. They had idol worship and sexual immorality was normal and everywhere. And as I think about what was happening in Ephesus and what was normal for, the, for, the, for the, the society for them, that's exactly what we have today living in Australia in the 21st century, where people have idol worship and there is sexual immorality. And I want to talk about those two things, idol worship and sexual immorality. The first thing I want to talk about is idol worship in, in Australia in the 21st century. There is an author named Tim Keller, and he wrote a book called Counterfeit Gods, and, and he defines idols this way. He writes, an idol is anything, this is really important, take note of this, an idol is anything more important to, to you than God. 
anything that, that absorbs your heart and, and imagination more than God and anything that you seek to give you what only God can give. Now, I'm just going to read that one more time because it's a brilliant definition and it's going to hit home for everybody who's watching this. As I read it, it hits home for me. He says, an idol is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, and anything that you see to give you what only God can give. And I've written a list of 11 things that could be idols in your life. It's, the first thing could be yourself. You could think of yourself. You could be self-obsessed. You can put your agenda, what's best for you, what you think's best for you ahead of God. It could be security, having a home, getting wealth, investments, and that can be a God rather than God. Getting approval, getting approval from others can be more important than you honouring God in your life. Relationships, your, your relationship with your wife, your children could be more important than God in your life. It could be success, wealth. It could be health and fitness. It could be food. It could be alcohol as an escape rather than getting God's peace in your life. It could be intellect where you get smarter and smarter and smarter. And because you're smart, you then have value. And that's more important than God in my life. Or it could be comfort where you choose to not step out because you not step out for God because you're concerned about what that could mean for you. Now, the uh, list of 11 things I read on their own, they're fine. But when they are more important to you than God, when they absorb your heart and imagination more than God, when they when anything that you seek to give you what only God can give you, when these things get in the way of pursuing God and getting things from God, you get it from another place, well, friends, they become idols in our life. And the list I read, yourself, security, approval, relationship, success, are all things that our world celebrates today. They say having success, that's normal. Making yourself number one in life, that is normal. What this, this, this is countercultural. And I believe Paul would say to us, that we're not to live like everybody else is living in our society today, where they have their idols of wealth, of intellect, of comfort, of success, of security, the list that I've read. Don't have that as your idols, but rather have God as the center, have God as the number one. Don't live like the cats where life is all about me. That's what the world says is best and that is an idol. Rather live like the dogs where it says, God, I'm here to live for you. The second thing I want to talk about, friends, is sexual immorality in our society in the 21st century. And when I say sexual immorality, I'm talking about sex outside of marriage. And in our society today, sex outside of marriage is normal. Society thinks that it is perfectly okay. It's socially acceptable in our society today to have sex when you're dating someone or even on a first date. It's socially acceptable to have a baby out of wedlock. It's socially acceptable to, to live together before you're married. It's socially acceptable to be sexually intimate in a same-sex relationship. Friends, these are socially acceptable behaviour, but it's not what God says is okay. God says that those things aren't okay. 
For God has designed sex to be in a marriage relationship between a husband and a wife and in sex. Sex is beautiful. It really is. When we take it outside that husband and wife marriage relationship, it is lacking. It's not God's best. It hurts us. It hurts others. It's not God's best for our life. Now, what I want to do is take this even one step further. And this is where the M rated bit really comes in, MA15+. And I want to talk about pornography because pornography in our society today is another thing that has become normalized, where it's normal now for people to look at pornography. And let me say, pornography is devastating. Um, a few weeks ago, I was looking on um, nine, nine doc, um, news, news.com.au, one of the news sites, as I do daily, to look at what's happening in the world. And, and one of the ads that was on the website was, in, was entitled this, Is Porn Ruining Your Sex Life? I was like, wow, is porn ruining our sex lives? I, 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 I want to read that. I, I want to check that out. So as I clicked on the link, it was, it was a video, and there was a lady speaking, and she spoke for about four or five minutes. And, and I want to give you some of the things that she said. The lady started by saying, do you watch porn? If you do, you're not alone. Then she mentions a porn site, which I'm not going to mention. And then she says this site has 1 million, sorry, 100 million hits on that site per day. She says in 2018, that site had 33.5 billion hits that year. Then she says Australians are one of the most active countries on the site and of which 25% of the users on this site are female. Then she says this, and, I'm, and I've quoted it here because I want you to check out what she's saying. She says, in true blue Aussie style, our viewership on this porn site drops during the AFL and NRL grand finals, but picks up again once the game is over. So plenty of us are watching porn. Notice what she's trying to do there. She's targeting at men, 20s, 30s, 40s who love football, the normal sports that society loves, the average bloke likes sport, and she's saying that porn is normal for that age group. She then says, so you might ask yourself, is porn addictive or is porn harmful? Is porn bad for you? And she goes on to say, everyone's relationship with porn is different. 20 minutes a week might be okay for some, but too much for another. If you find yourself missing work or giving up time with your family and friends to watch porn, or watching porn doesn't make you feel turned on or happy or satisfied anymore, it may be time to take a break to talk to a professional. And then she says this, like anything else in life, porn is best in moderation. Now, I just brought you that, which is pretty confronting, I know, because my point is that in society today, Porn is now normal. And if you don't believe it's now normal, well, that ad is trying to make it normal. Where average, ordinary Aussies are watching it, and from her perspective, it is, it is okay. And if we watch that, and if we are led by what the world says, if we're led by our old self, the, 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 the old self that is being renewed, well, then we're all going to be watching porn because society says 
it's okay. But the reality is, porn is, porn is devastating. And God says to us, do not get involved with the ways of the world. Don't get involved in the things that are normal in the world. Rather, put off that old life and put on the new self where you choose to honour God and you say no to pornography. Friends, porn is wrong on many levels. Firstly, it's sex outside of marriage, which God says is wrong. It involves lust on the part of the person who's watching it. There is much exploitation of women in the industry. When you watch it, it's like a drug where your, ke- where your brain releases a chemical and it's a feel-good chemical, but it's actually, and it feels good in that moment, but it's actually addictive. And it can destroy what healthy sex looks like in a marriage relationship. Friends, porn is devastating to people's lives. This passage in Ephesians is telling us to turn away from what the world says is normal. And in our society today, people are saying pornography is normal. Paul writes, God wants us to turn away from that and turn to him and choose to honour him with our lives. In summary today, we started back in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Paul writes, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you, I beg you, I plead with you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. If if you're watching this at home, if you're watching this in a gathering of people and you're a Christian, God has given you a new identity, a new calling. He says that you are loved, that you are forgiven through Jesus' death and resurrection, that you have a new life, eternal life. God has done incredible things for you and now use that as a springboard, as a launching pad to live in a way that says, God, I want to honour you with my life. And in verse 17, Paul writes, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Don't live around what society says is normal, live in a new way. And in verse 24, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul writes to put off the old life and choose to live in a way that honours God. Friends, we started with this dog and cat theology where the cat says, life is all about me. And the dog says, my life is all about my master because of all that he's given me. And if you're a Christian and you're watching this, friends, well, you're like the dog who has recognised all that God has done for you by giving you Jesus, by giving you forgiveness of sin, by giving you eternal life. You've recognised that and now you're called to live his way where you live a life that honours him. But I wonder how often you slip across to live more like a cat where you start to please yourself, where you start to live in a a way where you're first, you start to do things that please your old nature rather than honouring God. And if that's the case, God wants you, you to repent of those things. Now, repentance simply means, number one, recognise your error, recognise that you're doing the wrong thing. Two, ask for forgiveness And three, choose to live differently. I'll say it again. Repentance is recognize your error, ask for forgiveness, and choose to live differently. And what I want to do right now is to give you a few moments to ask yourself the question, where am I out of relationship with God? Where are the things 
that I'm doing that he's not pleased with? Ask yourself this question. What do you need to say no to? Where is it in your life? The things that you're doing that aren't pleasing to God. The things that you're doing that aren't actually helping yourself. What are the things you need to say no to? We're going to spend a few moments and encourage you to pray. And as things come to mind, repent. Remember, recognize your wrongdoing. Tell God you're sorry. Choose to live differently. Let's spend a few moments just in prayer. I'm going to pray for you now. Father, we want to thank you that your word says in 1 John that when we confess our sin, you are faithful and just and you forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. Father, I thank you for every person who's come to you in prayer today and said, God, I'm sorry for. Help me to live differently. Father, I pray that you would truly help them live differently, that you'd empower them by your Holy Spirit to live differently, that you'd put people in their world who would hold them accountable to those things. God, that they would live in a way that honours you. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, if you're watching this message, And you're thinking to yourself, actually, Nathan, I've been living more like a cat where life has been all about me. But I actually recognize that's wrong and I want to live for Jesus. If that's the case, I want to lead you in a prayer to become a Christian, which is a prayer that says, God, I'm sorry for my wrongdoing. I believe who you are and what you've done. I want to commit my life to you. And if you want to pray that prayer, I encourage you to pray it with me. I'm going to lead it. Pray it in your heart after me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he died for me and rose from the dead. God, I'm sorry for my wrongdoing. Please forgive me. I choose to follow Jesus all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, if you just prayed that prayer, let me encourage you to tell someone you prayed it. If you're watching it online, please go to the the Start Here page on our website and put in your details because we want to help you on this journey, to live in the freedom and the purpose that Jesus has for your life. Hey, thanks for joining us today. God bless you. Thank you for joining us for LifeGate Online. We want to continue to connect with you and we'd love for you to get the most out of your online experience by joining us every Wednesday night at 8.15 on Zoom. This will be an opportunity to connect with others and be encouraged. See you then. Thanks for joining us on the LifeGate Church Podcast. Our church is a place to discover the freedom and purpose that Jesus offers. 